Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week, and thank you for joining us again as we continue teaching our series on the book of Romans. We're going to begin this week uh, teaching chapter 12 of the book of Romans, and uh, as I have already shared with you over the past several months teaching this incredible book, uh, this is the letter that Paul wrote. And it is to be read in one setting, really. Of course, it's impossible for me to go through the whole book of Romans in one setting on this uh, TV program, but we are going through this book and understanding that it was written as a letter. So it's not, a, you know, we, we, I think sometimes many uh, times what we do when we get in error is when we draw a chapter out of the context of its setting and read into it something that's not the continuity or the flow of what the Apostle is saying here. We just finished uh, chapter 11, and uh, the key thought to chapter 11 is, He's the true vine, and if you abide in the vine, it's going to cause you to produce fruit. Fruit does not come because you yell at fruit trees, or you put requirements on a fruit tree. Uh, have you ever seen anybody ever go out into their backyard and stand in front of their apple tree and tell it, you better bear fruit or I'm going to cut you down and throw you in the fire? No, what you do with fruit trees is that you can dig about them, you can dung about them or fertilize them, but the key is that the power of the fruit is in the root. And if he's the root and you're the branches, then there is going to be uh, this outflow of fruit-bearing. What we did in this series is we started once again in the beginning of the book of Romans uh, by giving you the diagnosis. The diagnosis is that uh, he concluded all under sin so he could have mercy on all, both Jew and Gentile, and that there was none righteous, not even one, and one, two, one and two of Romans especially, and even into chapter 3, indicts everything and everybody, that all the world becomes guilty and every mouth is stopped, and we come to the realization that we need a Savior. Now, when I think about I need a Savior, I'm not just thinking about I need one so I can get to heaven. I need one to work His salvation in my life, spirit, soul, and body. And then as we come into chapter 3, he talks about, you know, uh, in chapter 3, he talks about uh, that he concluded all understanding that there's none righteous, not even one, not even Moses, the mediator of that covenant, made it in by the works of the law to show us that in this new and better covenant it had to come through the hearing of faith. And then in chapter 4, uh, he begins to talk about Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness, and he was counted righteous outside of works before he was ever circumcised, before the law was ever given. God declared him righteous because Abraham believed God. Faith comes into play because the new and better covenant is based on faith and faith in what Jesus has done in his finished work. And in chapter 5, it comes along and, and declares to you that we were reconciled by the death of His Son, but we're saved by His life. And I like the Message Bible there. One of the key things that I remember a lot in chapter 5 
is that as he is switching from the diagnosis, then he's coming to the remedy. And so he's telling you that it was a one-man plan, and that uh, I love how the Message Bible says, it says, here it is in a nutshell. One man did it wrong and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, and another man did it right and got us out of it. But more than just get us out of trouble, he got us into a life. Uh, a lot of people, I've thrown them in a crowd by preaching, you're not in trouble anymore, and you are not in trouble. But more than just get us out of trouble, he got us into a life. And that life that goes on and on and on, and then chapter 6 opens and tells you that you were crucified with Christ. You've moved into a uh, new land. Uh, it, I called it Grace Land, where Adam has left the building, and he starts to deal with how your behavior changes once you have uh, recognized that you're dead. How can we, who are dead to sin, live any longer in it? And then in chapter 7, he talks about being torn between two different ways of thinking. Uh, there's uh, when you were under the law, Paul, Paul in chapter 7 is talking about the dilemma of a man who is under the law. He's in this roller coaster ride of when I want to do good, evil is present with me. And what I want to do is not what I uh, perform and what I hate, that's what I seem to do. And we have preached that as that is the dilemma of the Christian walk. But the truth of it is, that's not the dilemma of the Christian walk. That's the plight of a man who is still under the law, because Paul said, when this commandment came, sin revived, and I died. Now, that doesn't mean the law is bad. It just means that you are trying to be justified by the works of the law, and no flesh is justified by the works of the law. It is evident, the book of Romans declares. Then we come into chapter 8, where Paul said there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, and he talked about the suffering that they were going through that would produce uh, in them, uh, that would uh, the suffering that, would, that they were uh, going through was so that the creation and themselves could be brought into a glorious liberty. And I shared with you how that suffering was not some... You know, we preach suffering way out of balance, especially here in, in, in the American culture. But the suffering that these guys were going through was suffering of persecution for preaching a message that was diametrically opposed to the message of the day. In other words, they were transitioning from an old covenant, law-based, legalistic system of condemnation into a glorious liberty of grace and freedom in the new covenant. And Paul was talking about that uh, the creation was groaning for that kind of a liberty. And then we came into chapter 9 and 10, and we started realizing that he was, uh, especially chapter 10, that there was a righteousness that was, that was given as a free gift, and that uh, the, the uh, Israel as a, uh, as a people, uh, did, did, uh, they stumbled at the rock of offense, and they stumbled because they tried to establish their own righteousness based on the law. But Paul goes on to tell them in the 10th chapter, that, uh, that the word of faith that we preach is where the heart man believes into salvation, with the mouth confession is made. And he talks about there being established in a present truth of the reality of the new covenant. And so, uh, you know, uh, he starts talking about, I'll be found of them that were not looking for me. All day long I held out my hands to a rebellious people, talking about Israel, and yet they didn't receive. And so then as we come into chapter 11, he talks about the inclusion of both Jew and Gentile into the true vine, which is Christ. One family, one name given under heaven, whereby men must be saved. 
that at the name of Jesus, there's not an alternative salvation. There's not another way in. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he comes to the end then of chapter 11, and he begins to talk about how all things have come from God, all things pass through God. Okay, let me go back and just pull that last verse up so that we can springboard from it as we get ready to move into chapter 12 today. Uh, while I'm looking that up, let me just remind you that if you've missed any of these uh, programs, you can go back to our YouTube channel and watch them, and they are available to you to watch on demand. And uh, also there's a podcast that you can listen to uh, uh, on uh, our uh, Spotify and on our uh, iTunes, and there's an RSS feed for your Android device so that you can get the audio portions of these teachings and even stream them through your automobile on your way to work. It's a great way to redeem time. Best way to do that is go to my website at lynnhiles.com, and in the upper right-hand corner there are icons that will take you straight to uh, those outlets. Uh, Romans 11, the, the last verse says, For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. And so uh, he's talking to them about what flows from being connected to the true vine. So when we come into uh, Romans, the 12th chapter, it starts out, I'm going to read from a couple different translations because it helps make it clear. The first one I'll read to you is from the New King James, and it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So here's what he comes back to say. Since in view of everything that he's built up here, that your righteousness is on the basis of a gift, what, what he's going to deal with here is that grace does not just make you a spiritual couch potato. What he's addressing here in the 12th chapter of Romans is the difference between being conformed and being transformed. Make no mistake about it, as far as this grace teacher is concerned, I believe the gospel will change your life. Not because it becomes a list of rules and regulations that you have to do, because conformity means you take something from an external source and superimpose it upon the life and try to get people to conform to either your standard or your... And that's what most churches do, is they, they try to conform people to their to their standards of what they call holy. But see, Paul is really dealing with the issue here of not being conformed. Now, I know that what people, I, I can remember back, uh, you know, in the days uh, when I was growing up under a lot of legalism. And in all fairness to them, they did the best they could with what they knew. But, but under that message of conformity, they said, be not conformed to this world. So what this, this, that concept was is that being conformed to this world meant that you, you didn't go see a movie or you didn't wear a certain kind of clothes or you didn't, you know, uh, you know, you just didn't, you know, it was just all about you didn't wear shorts, you didn't wear makeup for women. It was, I mean, all, a lot of different rules. And so what we did was we conformed to whatever that standard was, but it didn't bring heart transformation. It brought conformity. See, law can change behavior. But only grace can change the heart. And God is not looking for 
people who simply change their behavior, but their heart is not changed. He's looking for people who are willing to be transformed by the renewing of their mind. I like what the Woost translation says here. It says, stop assuming an outward expression that does not come from within you, but change the outward expression to be fashioned after the real you, the inward you. And so what I think we've done in Christianity with conformity is we've not presented something authentic. We've taught people how to become actors. And the word hypocrite literally means an actor on the stage of life. If you read it in the Amplified Bible, that's how it actually translates it. And we've learned how to become good actors. But I believe that God is doing a deep work in His church, even as we start to understand the gospel of grace. See, only in the climate of freedom can real transformation really take place. That's why God put two trees in the garden, was to give man a choice. And the choices are so that what you do, you do not because you have to, but because you choose to because your heart has been transformed. In other words, I think it is a powerful thought to think in terms of, well, it's good if you use the law and say, thou shalt not commit adultery, and you don't commit adultery because the Bible says not to. But the higher order of that is that I don't commit adultery not because the Bible says not to, I do it because I love my wife and because my heart has been transformed to do what is right because it's in my heart to do it. And so certainly sometimes when our hearts can be revealed, that's where God can really transform our hearts. Uh, You know, I'm I'm just taking my time with this because I think these are powerful concepts. I I, I was thinking, you know, back in the series that I did uh, on TV and by the way also on YouTube, Uh, where I talked about in the fourth chapter of Hebrews, it says, for the Word of God is quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it, It divides asunder between soul and spirit, and it is a discerner of the thought and the intent of the heart, and neither is any creature which is not open and naked before the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. And uh, when I thought about those scriptures, see, it says the Word of God is quick and powerful, but the context of the Word of God is quick and powerful, the word quick there doesn't mean fast, it means life-giving. It's an old English word that means the Word of God is life-giving, and it is powerful. And it is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it divides asunder between soul and spirit, and the thought and the intent of the heart. But the context of the fourth chapter of Hebrews is right above that, he's talking about entering in to rest. Entering into rest means entering into the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when I begin to preach the finished work of Jesus Christ and the gospel of grace, and that God's not angry with you, and that, uh, you know, there is therefore now no condemnation, that word began to reveal what was in people's hearts. And when I first began to see uh, what people, you know, in other words, people started to behave in ways that I thought, well, am I teaching something that's causing people to sin? And that's the accusation a lot of times we get from grace, uh, people who don't uh, appreciate the message of grace or the finished work of the new covenant, is they say, well, y'all giving people a license to sin. People have been sinning without a license for years. But what happens is, is in the climate of freedom and rest, what's in your heart begins to surface. Because the word that flows from rest is the word that's life-giving and powerful. 
and sharper than any two-edged sword. And the word that flows from rest is what will discern between the thought and the intent of the heart. Now, let me just say this to you. I've said this many years ago when I first started teaching. I said, you know, just stop and think for a minute. If you could, if you knew that you were free to do uh, whatever you wanted to do, and that God wasn't going to judge you for it, what would you do? And uh, so I said, it won't take you long to think about it. But if you, and, and, and so then I said, whatever you just thought about is what's really in your heart. Now, let me tell you that, first of all, I'm, I'm not suggesting that you act on that. I'm suggesting that the word that flows from rest reveals what's in your heart, so that what the next part of that chapter says in Hebrews, uh, in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 is, so that then you can come boldly to a throne of grace, not a throne of judgment, but a throne of grace, and find mercy, watch this, and find a grace that will help in the time of trouble, and a faithful high priest who has been tested and tempted in every manner, like as we are, yet without sin, so that he is able to secure us during the time of our temptation. In other words, the word that flows from rest and the word that flows from this new covenant will reveal what's in people's hearts. Sometimes that's messy. But what we've done, but what happens is, is that once, and many people, when they first hear the message of grace, will test the waters of freedom. Say, well, if I'm not, because you're trying to figure out how to stop living by rules and how to live out a relationship. You're, you're trying to figure out, because you've been all your life governed by rules on rocks, I call it, but now the Holy Spirit is becoming your teacher and He's becoming the governor of your life. And, and, and we've never taught people how to be led by the Spirit so that they can mature into the realm of sonship that Paul talked about in Romans 8, where we're no longer servants and slaves, but we're sons. And we're sons and we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. And so in the climate of freedom, what happens is what is in your heart begins to be exposed so that you can come boldly then and say, Lord, there's some stuff in my heart I didn't realize was in my heart. And in that process, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. But at the same time, what is happening is the Holy Spirit then goes to work. If your heart has really come to know the Lord, the Spirit of God begins to deal with you and says, you know what? Let me help you with these things. And the first thing you know, what I have discovered is effortless change becomes begins to take place in my life as I begin to present my body as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable to God. And so, you know, the, and living out of that relationship, the Lord begins to transform, not conform, but He begins to transform my, my heart and my mind, and the transformation that comes is not because I've learned how to quote more scriptures or because I've written laws in front of me that I rehearse, but because I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind as to what is true about me because of the finished work of the cross. That what I'm renewing my mind with is not a bunch of more rules. I'm re renewing my mind with what my true identity is in Christ. That once I was darkness, but now we are light. And that uh, I'm no longer a sinner. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because of the abundance of grace 
and the gift of righteousness, we can learn how to reign in life. And you know, I did a message. Let me just uh, go back and, and look at, pull my notes up on, on this. I did a message a few weeks back at my home church from Psalm 50 titled, What If God Should Get Hungry? And it's from Psalm 50, and it says, The Mighty One, the Lord has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to the going down. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. Our God shall come and will not keep silent, and fire shall devour before Him, and it shall be very tempestuous all around about Him. And, you know, I, I thought even as I thought about where, I believe it was Elijah, you know, the wind came, and God wasn't in the wind, and the earthquake came, and God wasn't in the earthquake, and then, uh, you know, uh, a fire came, and God wasn't in the fire. But then there came a still, small voice, and I think to myself, sometimes the things that we go through that seem like the earthquakes, and the fire, and the wind, and the rending of the rocks, is so God can remove all of the debris so that we can hear very clearly the still, small voice. I think some of the things that I've experienced in my life you know, are uh, where, where even as I reap the repercussions of my own actions were part of the correction. It wasn't that God did it to me. I did it to myself. But once uh, God, was a, God wasn't in the wind, God wasn't in the earthquake, God wasn't in the fire. He was in the still small voice, but I wasn't listening to the still small voice. But it goes on to say that even after all of that cleared, you know, that, that God began to speak to the prophet in the still small voice. And then he goes on to say here in Psalm 50, He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that He may judge His people. Gather my saints to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Let the heavens declare His righteousness, for God Himself is Judge Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, I will testify against you. I am, your God, I am God, your God. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not take a bull from your house, nor goats of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountain and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee. For the world is mine and its fullness. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and, sh and, and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth, seeing that you hate instruction and cast my words behind you? When you saw a thief, you consented with him and have been partaker of his adulterers. You give your mouth to evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit to speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. Now consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you in pieces, and there be none to deliver. Who so offers praise glorifies me, and to him who offers uh, his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. Now I, I know that what Paul, what not Paul, but the psalmist is writing to Israel under an old covenant. And he's saying to them, you have turned this thing into a ritual where you think it's about your burnt offerings and your divers washings and all the stuff. And he says, I'm not going to rebuke you for that. because he said, But he says, listen, if I, if, if I was interested, you know, we really, here's another scripture we really quote out of context because we'll say, you know, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And we talk about that in context of him meeting my needs. Now, God wants to meet your needs, but what He's saying to them here is, you have brought these uh, sacrifices and offerings. Your heart is not in it. And, 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 and He goes on to say to them, listen, 
If I was interested in the blood of bulls and goats, all the fowls of the mountain are already mounted. The cattle on a thousand hills already belong to me. Do you think I'm hungry for the blood of bulls and goats? He said, all of, all, the, all of that already belongs to me. And if I was hungry, I would not ask you. That's a really indicting thought to me. But what he's looking for is he begins to tell them, I'm not looking for the fat of bulls. I'm looking for someone to offer praise and to order his conversation and his conduct aright. I'll show him the salvation of God. And I'm looking for somebody that will walk in obedience. Because when he says to, I believe it is over here in the book of Kings, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Samuel, he said, Samuel, uh, this is Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, 22, and Samuel said, Hath the Lord as delight, a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken is the better than the fat of rams. And so what God is looking for is not just a, uh, he's not looking for someone who can offer a bull or a goat. He's looking for somebody who can walk in obedience. Now, once again, now let me not reduce this to a works-based thing. It is, but, but he's talking about not, not just, a, a, here's a bunch of rules to obey. He's talking about becoming obedient to the faith. In other words, what you really believe is what you will act on. So the obedience to the faith is simply this. If I believe I'm the righteousness of God based on what we've taught through the book of Romans, and I truly believe that, then I'm going to start to act like I'm righteous. If I believe I'm a new creation in Christ, the more I believe that, the more I'm going to act on it. Because he's not looking for the fat of rams, or he's not, look, we, we, we've reduced it to how we give offerings, but see, what Paul is saying here in Romans, present your body as a living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable to God. God's looking for somebody to just say, here I am, Lord, I'm yours. I want you to transform my life. I'm offering myself to you. And you know, I, I, and, and even at the outflow of that is, you know, when, when Jesus would say, if you uh, bring your gift to the altar, remember there that you have all against your brother, go first be reconciled to your brother. And what he's doing even with that is he's bringing uh, our worship to the same level as how we treat our brother. In other words, uh, our worship today is not just how many gifts. We, we can go through all the religious calisthenics that we can think of and go through. But he says, if you bring these gifts, and remember, you've got to get all against your brother. Bring, go first be reconciled to your brother. Because, and then Jesus, when he talked to the, uh, the, the, the lawyer, he says to him, when he asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, he puts loving your neighbor on the same level as loving the Lord your God because if you love God, you're going to love your neighbor and love is going to begin to transform your heart. And what you do, you're going to do, not because you have to, but because you want to. We are out of time. And uh, I just want you to take a moment, if you could, and sow a seed into this ministry if you'd like to help support the gospel of grace as we take the gospel around the world. Simply go to the website there. There's a link where you can give through a PayPal portal. You can use your credit card or debit card to do that. You can set up a monthly debit. You can also send a check or money order to the address that will come up on the screen, or you can call the telephone number that's there, and someone will take your call. If you don't get an answer, leave a message, and someone from my team will return your call. But we do need your help to take the gospel around the world. Join us again next week as we continue this series. God bless you. 
I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.